Hey all and welcome to Geek Freaks. I am Frank. Today's gonna be a single player episode, aka it's just me on board. We're gonna be talking about the biggest news over the last week, and I wanted to make sure to address an issue that personally I want to make sure is always a focus of ours. I think with all news, when you share it, you should also share the source. And for us, we would normally put that on our website. Our website used to be where we'd share articles and we would paraphrase and summarize the article. And that would be our source for our podcast. As you guys know, we have modernized and changed our website. It's up now. You guys can check it out, geekfreakspodcast.com. And now it's more focused on actually Geek Freaks Network episodes. So you can check out the latest from Pushing Buttons, Trek Freaks, what have you. That means that we're also not sharing the sources as well. Well, I want to make sure we change that. So every time a new episode of Geek Freaks, this podcast you're listening to now, releases, the article that announces that episode will also have a link off to every article that we reference. This specific episode, because it is a solo player episode, I will mention the sources every time. Normally, we won't mention the source of each you know, discussion topic, but the sources will be on our website. So if you have any questions, you want additional details, just want to make sure that we're above board as much as we can be, please check our website, geekfreakspodcast.com. We will have the source for everything there. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, let's go ahead and start talking about some news. This last week, the producers of all the Star Trek series came together for the TCA and revealed some new details about upcoming Star Trek properties. Now, Star Trek, as you guys know, is on Paramount+. Plus. There's some CBS stuff going along, but it's mostly on Paramount+. Plus. Previously stated and reiterated here, Alex Kurtzman says he wants Star Trek to be quote-unquote always on. What he means by that is that at any point in time in a year, there's one of the Star Trek series being aired. We have Discovery coming back soon. We just finished Prodigy. We have Strange New Worlds coming up very quickly. We'll talk about that in a moment. There's always more Star Trek, including new shows that are in development. One that we thought possibly was canceled and has confirmed that it is still in the works. And another one that was hinted at before, but now has been confirmed, is also in the works. So what we're going to start off with is a brand new poster for Strange New Worlds and a release date. Our sources for this, by the way, winter is coming. Now, I can't explain how cool these guys are. They started off as a, as you could tell, a Game of Thrones fan site and a really cool Twitter account. Now, I follow the Twitter account. Geek Freaks follows the Twitter account. And they were able to get there to watch this exclusive content. There was, it was a small event. They actually showed a teaser, but it's all private, so we couldn't see the teaser. But they were live-tweeting everything, and I was sharing their tweets. So I'll try to, on our website, where we're going to post all these sources, I'll try to share one of the tweets so you guys can follow the entire tweet chain. But it was all kinds of cool stuff, and I really liked that these guys knew that Game of Thrones was done, but they were like, we'll keep the name, Winter is Coming, and we're just going to talk about Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, Doctor Who, Everything that, that's cool and geeky. So I, I can recognize fellow hardworking people in the geek sharing world. Like, like I feel like ourselves are as well. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Star Trek. First, Star Trek Strange New Worlds will premiere May 5th. It's coming up quick, guys. On the streaming service Paramount+. Plus. The sci-fi series will chronicle the adventures of Captain Christopher Pike and the deep space adventures of the USS Enterprise. Pike commanded the iconic starship prior to James T. Kirk's command in the Star Trek the original series. 
this is going to be produced by CBS and done through Secret Hideout, which is the uh, small like studio ran by Alex Kurtzman. He's kind of started it up uh, after getting this big role of running all of Star Trek. So I'm sure you guys are big fans of Trek Freaks, just like myself. One of the podcasts here on the Geek Freaks Network. They went over the first episode of the series, original series, and that, the pilot episode of Star Trek, the original series, had Commander Pike. And that episode spawned this new series, basically. It was a season two of Discovery. We had a Pike on there, Captain Pike on there, played by Anson Mount. Um, he's from Hell on Wheels, one of my favorite Western shows, and he's been taking, he's been given the role. So after the success of season two of Discovery, they spun this out to its own thing. What's important, they wanted to make sure to iterate here at the event, this will be episodic. So we won't have season-long arcs like we're seeing with Discovery, and a lot of people are not happy with, myself included. We're actually going to have one-off adventures in the world of Star Trek with Captain Pike and the Enterprise discovering new planets and adventures every episode. This is the strength of Star Trek, where you're jumping in, you're finding something new, it poses a question, usually with gray morality and you have to decide why you're watching what would i do in this situation where do i lie on this i mean it comes up all the time in the original series people look back at the original series not as star trek fans and like boy that that show looks terrible look how bad the cliff walls look and i myself have found a whole new level of appreciation from it through trick freaks so i watch it as they analyze it so i can help edit the episodes and it's like, my goodness, they're asking those questions back then, too. Gene Roddenberry was a genius. <laughs> this guy was so on top of it. The world he envisioned was fascinating. And, of course, it got developed and I think improved over time with Next Generation and, of course, my favorite, Voyager. But it's really, really great to see that we're going to return to those roots in this new series. A new adventure, new questions, and new moral dilemmas every week. I'm so excited for that to happen. May 5th is kicking off. We have a new poster from Strange New Worlds, which shows the Enterprise above a planet. Some people are saying, well, that's the Mojave Desert. That's where it was filmed. But the way that the moon is so close, that has to be a different planet. And we have our Commander Pike on a horseback, kind of reminding us of his Hell on Wheels roots. But uh, it's important to remember that in the deleted scenes from that original pilot, which is itself a deleted scene, and I think it was reused in the Menagerie, actually. I think that's where I saw it, actually. Um, Pike had a horse, and I forget the name of it, but it's a real cute name or whatever. So Pike had a horse and everything like that. He was kind of this Western cowboy in space. Cowboy in space, you guys have heard me say that phrase plenty of times in the past, talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Mandalorian, and here we go. We go again, and it's just, it's a fun genre to play with. You can add a space opera to it, you can add whatever you want to it, but the idea of this like cowboy in space, living by his own wits, and trying to just survive and make the universe better. I'm in for that story. Next, we found out that the Section 31 series is still in development. It's been three years since Paramount first announced the development of the new Star Trek series, starring the incomparable Michelle Yeoh. The as-of-yet Untitled spinoff has been presented as a story that will follow Yeoh's Emperor Philippa Giorgio in her work as part of Section 31. So kind of some backstory here. Philippa Giorgio was the first captain on Discovery. She was killed. The Emperor version of her from the Mirror Universe, of course, the quote-unquote evil version of her, is now in our universe. And she's working for Section 31. Section 31 is kind of the special ops 
the people that definitely don't follow the Prime Directive. Uh, so she's going to be in their adventures doing the special ops of Star Trek. The studio began pre-production in January 2020, but obviously COVID hit. They were going to start filming in May 2020, but everything's been shut down and delayed. Uh, but it is still a go and it's still in the works. As for the rest of the stuff here in the TCAs, basically saying, you know, Discovery's coming back, Prodigy uh, was already getting renewed, stuff like that. All things that we kind of expected to happen. There was a teaser that we were not able to see, but one, it is made public. We'll make sure to share it on all our social sites so you will find it eventually. But yeah, one of the things that they've been discussing is the fact that they're trying to create this extended universe, which of course we know, you know, Marvel created that extended universe already, and it kind of set this idea that others can do it as two. Uh, Netflix is trying to do one with The Witcher. Apple TV is working on one for Godzilla. Everybody's kind of got one going. For Paramount, they're working on a Star Trek one. As a Star Trek fan, I'm saying go for it. Like, just make more content, Star Trek content. The good ones will rise to the top. The ones that fail will eventually sink. I think we've seen some hit and misses with Discovery. Season 2 was fantastic. 1 was meh, okay. 3 was not very good. And 4 has been a real letdown so far. So I think Discovery, I don't know how long that'll go. But it launched off this new Star Trek era that we're in. So I'm very happy it happened. And I can't wait to see what's to come. Strange New World specifically, I know we're all very excited for. We're trying to find a way to kind of talk about modern Star Trek on Trek Freaks. We're still in the works on that, trying to figure that out. It's definitely a group effort on figuring out how we can do that. Scheduling is already so tight. And then if you try to do a recording immediately after airing of an episode, gosh, you're really ramping up the tension. So we'll see what we can do, but we will make sure to talk about all those new Star Treks as soon as we can with you guys. Got a new Spider project on the way from Sony. We're going to be talking about an article from Deadline written by Justin Kroll. Uh, by the way, Deadline has an email list you guys can get on. I really suggest it. If you guys go to their website, it's called News Alerts. We're on it. And it'll hit you up every time there's a big article that comes out. As somebody who tries to share this news as fast as possible, it's quite helpful for me. Deadline is a real insider source for Hollywood, so it's, it's a good website. There's a few of them, like GameIndustry.biz, if you're video games, that are, are almost must-follows for this kind of thing. We're also going to be using good old IMDB. Another shout-out to them. We use them often. Uh, there is a paid subscription, which we do pay for, uh, that, that opens up a lot of access to kind of the backdoor stuff for, for the celebrities. Uh, it's worth checking out. And then we got Wikipedia. We're going to be touching into some Wikipedia. Because you know what? Wikipedia is an amazing source too. <laughs> Don't change anything, please. <laughs> so, following the enormous success of Spider-Man No Way Home, Sony is eager to expand the Marvel Universe. Now, Deadline is reporting that Dakota Johnson is in discussions to appear in the studio's Madam Web film. For you guys who don't remember Dakota Johnson... She's probably most notable from her uh, appearance in Fifty Shades of Grey. She was the lead in that film. This project is going to be directed by S.J. Clarkson. When you look up S.J. Clarkson, probably the best sign of hope for this is Jessica Jones, directed the Jessica Jones series. Also some of the Defenders, but Jessica Jones, in my opinion, is fantastic. Screenplay is going to be done by Matt Sazama and uh, Burke Shapless. These two write together all the time. Most notably, they just took care of Sony's Morbius film which will eventually come out. It keeps getting delayed, but Morbius. All right, so Madam Web is described in the comics as an elderly woman with uh, like a disease that makes it where she's basically immobile. Uh, she's hooked up to life support system, which kind of looks like a spider web. 
Madame Web never actually fought any villains herself due to her age and sick condition, but she has this clairvoyance ability, which people are kind of chalking up to Sony trying to find a way to get a Doctor Strange in their world. As if her extreme psychic abilities will be a version of magic for Sony. And, and if you think of all the Sony Spider-Man movies that are out right now or on the horizon, you've got the Venoms, we've got, of course, Spider-Man himself, and then we also have uh, Morbius, a couple other side projects, I've heard of a black cat underway, and now we have Madam Web. Given the long number of strong female characters who have appeared in the Spider-Man comic books over the years, getting a female-driven property in Sony's universe of Marvel heroes has always been a major goal for the studio management. Sony executives took their time deciding who would play the title part, meeting with a variety of A-list actors. The list has shrunk in the last two months, with Johnson emerging as the frontrunner just before Christmas. The first thing that comes up to everybody is, okay, well, wait a minute. Madam Webb is this old lady, Dakota Johnson. She's, what, in her 30s. It doesn't make much sense that she'd be playing this role. I think what we're going to get is the next iteration of Madam Webb. So a lot of these websites are publishing images of old school Madam Webb, but there is Julia Carpenter took over the role uh, in later years. Now, I will be the first to admit this is very deep comic book knowledge that I do not have. I had to look up everything I'm saying right now, so please bear with me. And I'm always open to learn more. So if you are a Julia Carpenter reader or a Madam Webb reader, let us know and we'll share it. That's always really cool. But yeah, so Julia Carpenter took over the role, and I think that would actually make for a very good film. You have this clairvoyant, wise, sensei, leader kind of thing, handing the role over to Julia Carpenter, who already was, she was Spider-Woman at one point and stuff like that. She already had her own abilities and would just be elevated with uh, the Madame Role title. This training and handing over process would be a really good origin story for a whole new character to be joining the world. Also, Julia Carpenter is less known so you can make your mistakes or adjust things as you want. When a Spider-Man villain doesn't look exactly like Spider-Man villains are supposed to look like, the world knows. And so you are criticized a lot more. But if Julia Carpenter doesn't look exactly like Julia Carpenter, you're fine. We're all going to be happy with just more content. But I will say on that more content front, I'm kind of okay with, like, we don't need any more Spider-People. I'm fine with it myself. I get that Sony owns that property, and they want to make their money. But at a certain point, do we need another, you know, Madam Web, Spider-Woman? Uh, I, I, let's think of what's coming. We know that for sure we're going to get a Gwen Stacy at some point. Spider-Gwen is way too awesome. Speaking of awesome, we have to have a Miles Morales. I've been asking for that for a long time. But with those two guaranteed projects, that puts us at like six Spider-Man movies. We already have a Sinister Six movie kind of in the background discussion. We have Craven the Hunter, which is in development. That's a Spider-Man villain, so we'll have Spider-Man in that. It's going to be too much. On Marvel's side of things, you know, the Disney-owned Marvel side of things, they keep things broad, and they're telling stories with an Iron Man, a guy in an iron suit. They have Thor, he's a god with a hammer. They're very different. But on the other side, it's just like, yeah, but everybody's got webs. <laughs> or, or, have, or have a lot to do with Spider-Man himself. I think Sony's going to hit the, the edge of their limits very, very soon. And I think they might have with Madam Web. We'll see how it goes. If, it, if they had a streaming service and this Madam Web was going to be a series, that'd be one thing. But Sony does not have a streaming service. They're old school. They still sell their movies to companies to air. So like Hulu will you know play Spider-Man movies for a couple months and then all of a sudden it goes over to HBO Max or something like that. They're still doing things the old school way. 
But this is our next project from Sony. If you guys are excited for it, please let me know. If you're a fan of Julia Carpenter, of Madam Web, let us know. I myself was introduced to Madam Web from the old Spider-Man animated series in the 90s. And so it took me some adjusting, like, why is she getting it? <laughs> you know, and then I had to learn about this Julia Carpenter character, and I think that's going to be where they're probably going to go. Um, but yeah, let me know what you guys think. Join our Discord, and let's talk about that. Next, we're going to be talking about the failure of Google Stadia. Our resources on this is going to be a Kotaku article by Zach Swezen, who also used an article from Business Insider. Google is trying to salvage its Stadia streaming service by not focusing on video games, but instead looking to make deals with companies like Peloton. The service has apparently been demoted within Google, with Stadia boss Phil Harrison reporting to VP of Subscription Services instead of directly to Rick Osterlo. Some folks still believe in the dream of playing stuff like Cyberpunk 2077 on your phone but Google Stadia has really struggled over the last two years. Somebody from the inside told Business Insider, there are plenty of people internally who would love to see it keep going, so they are working hard to make sure it does not die. But they're not the ones writing the checks. The company recently shut down its main development studio with little warning, ran into issues with indie devs, and has seen key people leave the company after spending tens of millions of dollars to secure ports of big AAA titles, Stadia underperformed at bringing in new subscribers and users by hundreds of thousands. Google is considering turning Stadia into a more commercial-focused product. I remember when Google Stadia was first revealed. Here at the podcast, we were a buzz. We kept talking to each other like, is this the future of gaming? Will we need hardcore PCs anymore? Jonathan and I recorded an episode of the podcast that turned into almost an entirely Google Stadia-focused representation. We were just kind of predicting the new future that could be, and it, it reminds me of much of the hype we're seeing now with NFTs and cryptocurrencies. This idea that, like, if all the stars align, this can be the new future. The problem is, is you can't predict people's wants and desires. I want this big, fat... <laughs> loud computer next to me that could play these games the way I want them to be played. And when Google Stadia first came out, I did not have the internet to appreciate Google Stadia's uh, streaming capabilities. Even during our trial, my, the trial was very difficult, and we had Anthony, who had the best internet out of all of us at the time, to give it a try and let us know how it went. He would later on review some other similar services like CloudX. Google Stadia its demands on our internet would have made it to where only those who live in high-populated cities and strong internet connections were able to even use it, cutting out huge swaths of the United States, let alone the world. And while I think that there was very good merit in the company, the idea of changing all video games over to a streaming-only process would be difficult. Now let's look at the adverse of that. Let's look at how Microsoft is doing things. Microsoft has their Project X Cloud, and it's this really cool side venture. While Project X Cloud could lead to the future, they still have their big computers running their software. They have Game Pass, which is providing downloadable games that, hey, when you have bad internet, take three days to download a game. That's fine. You still pay 10 bucks for that brand new game. It's well worth the three days. Trust me, <laughs> as someone who has suffered that, I know. 
But on the other side, you could still use the, all the benefits from Stadia streaming idea. If you live in a high populated area with excellent internet, get into that new Halo right away, day one instantly. Stream it with xCloud. And even the side benefits of playing on your phone, which sounds awful to me, but you could play Halo on your phone. You can still do that all with that Project X Cloud. But again, that's not the core business model. The core business model is the games itself, the software it runs on, and all that. It leaves this opening for possibly a future sitting there with a streaming service. Now, if you think of like how Game Pass started out, I remember when Game Pass first kicked off, it was this really cool idea, and it's how we got into Sea of Thieves. We're like, hey, let's check it out. Like, all of Microsoft games are going to be on this thing eventually. Let's check it out. They have this new Sea of Thieves that looked cool. It impressed us at E3, but wasn't something that we were really going to go out and buy 60 bucks worth of an untested game. It, it didn't feel like it was worth that much, but it was definitely worth 10 bucks. It was definitely worth $10 to try it out and go from there. We fell in love with Sea of Thieves, and luckily we did. We ended up paying more in Game Pass than it would have been to buy the game outright. And even out of appreciation for the game, most of us, I think all of us at this point, went out and actually bought the game separately. So we have Game Pass. I am subscribed to Game Pass right now, and I went out and bought Sea of Thieves as well, because I wanted Rare to have more money. It's like the perfect storm of how companies should run their game studios. Stadia, meanwhile, was shoving money towards these AAA titles. They had Google money. They can do that. Trying to just like, oh, hey, come to us exclusively. Come on over here. And it just was not working. They were going to lose too much money. The, the big AAA titles were going to lose too much money if they became exclusive to Stadia. A huge chunk of their player base couldn't even touch Stadia. If Stadia had a download option, if it was basically a different version of Game Pass, I think it would have survived. But now it's, it's out and there's nothing going to fix it. Google is leaving it behind. The technology behind it, which I've heard is going to be called Google Streaming, according to a couple of the inside leakers, will now be used for things like Peloton. Now, I've got a treadmill with this. I think it's called iFit. I don't really use it because I instead read comic books while I'm on the treadmill. Shows how fast I am on that treadmill. <laughs> if you're properly using the treadmill, I don't think you should be able to read comic books. But with my nice little uh, stroll on my treadmill, I'm catching up on Thor. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to rereading saga pretty soon but nevertheless that has a service on my actual treadmill it has like a a tablet built into it where i could you know have somebody yelling at me to go faster or i could like climb mountains or some nonsense and i could do all that it costs 40 dollars a month which to me is like that's a gym membership why don't i just get a gym membership and they would stream that out to me and that's the idea. It would be like an interactive version of streaming. So think of it this way. Instead of like Netflix where it's streaming just the preset video out to you, what if you're on the mountain and you're walking up your treadmill and then you could like interactively change directions and, you know, say so it, it elevates that feature. That's a really solid feature for this because there is a lot of money in home fitness. We're seeing it, Peloton especially. I mean, they're very expensive. And because they're now commercial focused, they're not dealing with the ebb and flows of the consumers at large. They're dealing with the possible futures from one big company to another big company. They're not going to make a deal with everybody that uses Peloton. No, they're making a deal with Peloton. And then Peloton will, will gauge whether or not it's worth it or not. But the money's bought. If they, if they rent out or buy the Stadia uh, software, it's purchased. So this is a much safer move on Google's part. Let alone the fact that a lot of these built-in tablets are Android-operated tablets anyway, so it's on their system. 
So there's all kinds of things where this is going to be overall better for Google. Those who are fans of Stadia, I feel bad. I'm sorry that your service is gone, but it is or going to be fully gone very, very soon. And uh, we will see it go away. I think there are a lot of lessons going forward that people will implement into the future of gaming. It's exciting to see where gaming goes. And I really, really like the fact that the gamers themselves dictated it many times. We're seeing it with NFTs right now. We're seeing EA and stuff like that buck off the, the NFT stuff because it's like, okay, hold on. <laughs> the players don't like it. Why are we pursuing it? And some studios, some developers are listening. Others, we've talked about them last week, are not, but <laughs> we'll see how it goes. For our next one, we're going to be talking about NFTs and EA's approach to the new fad. Now, for this, we're going to be talking about an article from Kotaku, written by Ethan Gotch. Ethan does a lot of really good work for them. Please go check out Ethan Gotch's work. We're also going to be discussing a piece from the New York Times. This does not have an attributed uh, author, but it is from the New York Times. It's called EA Sports is planning for a FIFA without FIFA. There's a couple of pieces we'll use from that. And then we have an article by The Verge. This one's done by Justine uh, Karma. Now, the reason I'm going to use this one from The Verge is I want to discuss why I personally and a lot of us have problems with NFTs and what they're actually doing. So we're going to go ahead and start off by discussing EA's approach to NFTs going forward. Just three months ago, Electronic Arts, that's EA, CEO Andrew Wilson called NFTs an important part of the future of the industry. The move by the publisher of FIFA and Madden comes as NFTs backlash hits new heights, including at EA, where Kotaku had learned that even some within the company have been critical of Wilson's past positions on the controversial crypto tech. In a much more nuanced answer than he had provided in previous investor calls, Wilson acknowledged environmental concerns and criticized the spe speculative push behind NFTs. A lot of this, it can be the future push. Because the CEO comments were shared in a restricted channel, employees were limited to respond with just emojis which resulted in a barrage of thumbs down, stop signs, worry looks, and even some Dr. Evil from Austin Powers were in there. So basically, they knew that this was kind of just a PR statement by their CEO and know that Andrew Wilson really wants to push for NFTs. So they were trying to voice their opinion in any way possible. That's employees on the inside of EA not wanting NFTs. We're seeing a lot of these big publishers. We talked about Ubisoft last week, really wanting to embrace NFTs because it can create a fervor around DLCs. In a nutshell, they want to make NFTs a new way of selling skin, saying this skin is unique to you because you own the NFT for it. And that does sound cool in one way, but the problem is that you're talking about big companies like EA, Ubisoft, Activision Blizzard doing this, where they'll be selling countless NFTs, and NFTs are, are very harmful for the environment in the process of making them, and we'll just discuss that in a moment too. So we're seeing companies wanting to push this, the CEOs, the money men. But the employees that actually work on the products that actually are making the skins that will later be sold know that the very minimal little link that says that, hey, I own this one particular thing is very costly. The NFT itself is very, very costly. Now, in the case of Andrew Wilson, the CEO here for EA, he later on talks about how he sees NFTs as sort of a fad, much like VR, AR and 3D. If you guys remember those 3D TVs when they came out, everybody was crazy to go get them. You'd have to wear glasses to use them, but everybody wanted to get a 3D TV. And it was very kind of messy technology. You had to sit center of the TV. This is the TV that was in the front of the entire room. It was odd that it was going to sit right there. 
but that's what everybody wanted, right? So Andrew is claiming that NFTs are much like this, a fad that everybody's just wanting right now. So he sees that they're not going to actually be of value to the industry going forward. When previously, just three months ago, he was calling them, quote, the future of our industry. So he sees that they're a fad. Why does he originally want to have interest in it? Well, because everybody went out and bought those 3D TVs, and he knows that everybody's going to buy NFTs too. He doesn't care about the fact that it's not actually pushing the industry forward. He just says it is. He also doesn't care that it's very harmful for the environment. He only cares about filling the EA coffers. That is what EA does. We see them do it with the loot boxes in FIFA. That's why they're fighting all kinds of different lawsuits in Europe. It's just how EA works. We can't blame them 100%. They're a corporation. Their job is to make money, especially to their shareholders. But we have to give credit to these amazing employees with a little voice they had made sure the CEO, the company, and outside sources were aware that they were not on board with NFTs. But why are they not on board with NFTs? We talked a little bit about what NFTs are last week, but I'll go ahead and revisit it right now. NFT stands for non-fungible tokens, and they can technically contain anything digital, including drawings, animated GIFs, songs, or items in video games like we see with EA or Ubisoft. An NFT can either be one of a kind, like a real-life painting, or one copy of many, like a trading card. The blockchain keeps track of who has ownership of the file, and some NFTs have been sold for millions of dollars. Now, these NFTs have been responsible for millions of tons of planet-heating carbon dioxide emissions generated by the cryptocurrencies used to buy and sell the item. So the fact that the art is tied to the cryptocurrency it is also tied to the cryptocurrency's emissions. An artist, Atkin, who is the one that created this famous piece of NFT art called Space Cat, he had analyzed after selling his piece 18,000 other NFTs and found that the average NFT has a carbon footprint that is equivalent to more than a month's worth of electricity for a person living in the EU. So one piece of NFT, the average carbon footprint, I'm having to iterate this, is equivalent to one person's electricity for a month now it's still up for debate whether or not we can really say that nft significantly increases emissions or it's just part of what would already be happening in the mining of ethereum which is usually what's used or any other uh, you know blockchain uh, cryptocurrency that's all up for debate there are ways of kind of using nfts and helping out they could use clean energy blockchains you could mine using clean energy machines now, if a big company like EA wanted to invest in that, it would both push the NFT idea, idea and be better for the planet and help everybody else. There is a side of NFT that can be rewarding. The idea that you have this kind of registry that says, I own this piece of art and it is completely mine. That would be very helpful for the future. But at what cost? A great example for you gamers out there, including myself, is I have a very big computer it runs really good games. My computer has an 850 watt power supply. Not that it's using all 850 at one time, it has that capacity. But if you compare that capacity to like a TV that's like from 10 to 100 watts, it, you can see how big and powerful these computers are. Now imagine I had a shelf lined up with computers, constantly running big graphics cards, constantly mining this cryptocurrency. Holy cow, I'm burning up a lot of electricity. And that's in general where a lot of the concerns in NFT comes from. There are other concerns in putting a little bit too much weight into this technology or the fact that some people have already used this program to steal 
people's art by taking something that's normally pretty open art and then throwing it into the whole like NFT machine and giving it a, per a personal owner. That's all stuff that can come, you know, from people overusing or misusing NFTs. But I think the main concern that we're all worried about is its environmental damage. And I hope that EA, while they claim to be backing off this technology, are truly evaluating how they can better use this technology and make it a friendlier technology for everybody. NFT doesn't need to go away. It needs to be used properly. And it can't be something that like, hey, it's a big fad. Let's all dump some cash into it, rake in what we get back. And then hopefully the planet survives this move. We can't do that. Hey, all this episode is brought to you by We Are Marvel Podcast. They are an MCU-focused podcast. Every month, they talk about each MCU movie in release order. Their latest one covers Ant-Man. Good time to jump in. We Are Marvel talks about the pre-production, interesting facts about the movie, and a short talk about the movie itself. Between those, they cover random MCU topics or a review shows or movies that have recently released. I love this podcast. If you like us, you'll like them too. They're knowledgeable, fun, and it feels like you're just hanging out with your friends. The best part about podcasts. Be sure to check out We Are Marvel. Their link is in our description. We are now going to be talking about the successful Nintendo Switch. Our sources for this are Game Informer, an article by Wesley LeBlanc, and Wesley used some information from Bloomberg. So, Bloomberg, by the way, props to those guys, man. They have really embraced gaming lately, and it has been quite helpful for those of us who like to look into uh, gaming news. Alright, so the Switch is now the third best-selling console from Nintendo, after surpassing 103 million units sold. That means it has officially surpassed the Wii, which sold 101.63 million in its lifetime. Before these reported results, the Switch was at 92 million units sold, which was behind the Wii and the Game Boy that had 118 and the DS with a staggering 154 million units sold. Nintendo president also revealed that the Switch is only in the middle of its life cycle, suggesting it might pass up the Game Boy, but it, it has a ways to go before it passes up that DS at 154. But think of how long the Switch has been out and it's only in the middle of its life cycle. It's been a good bang for its buck. And it also tells you we're probably going to get another version of the Switch in the next couple of years. Maybe that HD version that we've all been waiting for. Now, while the Switch has been very successful, it seems the company is expecting 2022 to be a bit more of a struggle when it comes to selling consoles as a result of ongoing chip shortages. Back in November, Nintendo revealed that it reduced its Switch expectations by 20%. It previously planned to ship 30 million units by March of this year, but that 20% reduces it down to 24 million. In this new round of quarterly results, Nintendo has lowered the target even more, down to 23 million, which is 1 million from the previous target and 7 million from what they originally planned. But let's go back to its successes. The 100 million marker is the fastest in any console history. Also, a lot of this success is going to its first-party exclusives. Nintendo does not share <laughs> very well. So let's look at some of those first-party games and what has brought Nintendo Switch to the success. The Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is a Wii U port basically, fancied up, but it's from the Wii U, sold 43.35 million. After that was Animal Crossing New Horizons, 
those of us all remember those first few months in quarantine, Animal Crossing was our savior. It kept us entertained. And we had Super Smash Brothers, which was a return to form for a lot of people. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate sold 27 million copies so far. And then number four, which I think was a surprise for a lot of people, they thought it'd be closer to one, is Breath of the Wild at 25.8. And then after that, our first Pokemon title at 23.9. There are a couple more Pokemon titles in the top 10, but generally you're seeing that Mario and Animal Crossing and Pokemon really keep Switch exclusive and bring things home. Now, if you guys remember, if you're old like me, I know there's some young folks out there that might not remember the Wii, but when it came out, it was a craze. Everybody was buying them up. I worked at, at uh, Toys R Us. I worked in an area called the R-Zone. They tried to brand it as the R-Zone. It was the electronics department. When the Wii's came out, people were standing in line for them. Our store opened up at 8 a.m. I was there at 6 o'clock to do some you know, loss prevention stuff, inventory, whatever. And I'd be the one opening the store up. When I would get there, two hours before the opening of the store, there was already a line of parents, freezing moms and dads, just waiting for us to open the store. I felt so bad for them. I eventually created a ticket system. I'd go out there and I would give them a ticket, showing their place online, signed by me, so they could at least go in their car and warm up a little bit. But they were desperate to get the Nintendo Wii. The Wii was so popular because it was all over the news. People were talking about how old folks are playing bowling and golf in the old folks' home. And the whole family was gathering around to play some Mario Tennis and break their TV sometimes if they didn't know how to use a freaking lanyard. Use the lanyard. I don't know how many times I gotta say that. But it was a craze. It was one of the first times that the entire family could play video games together. Before this, games were kind of exclusive to the gamers. Your Xbox and your PlayStation really tailored to those hardcore gamers. While Nintendo thought, you know what, let's gamble on kind of a gimmicky move and share the gaming experience with everybody in the house. We could not keep the Nintendo Wii on the shelves. And when we look at the best-selling games there, a lot of the top games were bundled with it. Wii Play is number one by a mile with 89 million units sold, but that was bundled with the system. But one of the highlights I want to mention is number four is the Wii Fit. Now the Wii Fit was a board you'd put down and you'd step on. It would weigh you and it had all kinds of stepping exercises. And the, when it came out, it was amazing because the Wii finally started to stay in stock and you know what? We're doing okay. And it was, it was a couple months of like, you want a Wii? Come on in. We got a Wii for you. And then the Wii Fit came out. And then all of a sudden, we saw those lines again. Moms and dads out there trying to get the Wii Fit. It went from, hey, this gaming system everybody can use to, hey, a way I can kind of exercise on the side playing video games on the system I already bought. You know, it was a really great timing. It was 2006 for the, the Wii, and then I think it was 07, 08 for the Wii Fit. So they were, they were back to back. And of course, Nintendo's always good about those holiday releases. So they made sure to get the, the Wii came out in November, if I remember correctly. Nevertheless, the exclusivity, the idea that it's hard to get, and then, of course, bringing everybody in the family together on one console has pushed Nintendo forward. When we talk about all these big companies buying everything else, Sony just bought, you know, Bungie, and we got Microsoft over here buying Activision, Blizzard, and everybody else, <laughs> Bethesda. Nintendo isn't in on that. They don't care. We have, we have Mario, we have Zelda, we have Pokemon, and we'll make sure that we include everybody. And so they're here to stay. Props to Nintendo Switch for being such a great seller. And I hope you keep Nintendo's philosophy alive. Bringing people together, all in the same room, 
to play some video games. And that'll do for this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate it. Please check out all the other podcasts on the Geek Freaks Network. We have Pushing Buttons coming out on Wednesdays. We got Trek Freaks coming out on Fridays. We have Sloop coming out on Wednesday. Actually, the very final Sloop for this season of Boba Fett is coming out on Wednesday. We have a, uh, a remix remaster of an interview we had with Alex Schumacher coming out this week as well. Check out Geek Freaks interviews. And then we have a brand new interview coming up in a couple weeks. I'm, I'm so excited to share with you guys. It's a really good one. I know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for joining me again. And I really appreciate it. Do you guys have any comments, any suggestions, or just want to hang out? Come on over to our Discord. Everybody is welcomed. Have a good week. Thank you for joining us on the Geek Freaks Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Geek Freaks Pod. We're also on Facebook, Instagram. You can email us. We have our Patreon and a store. All those links are in the description. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week.